please pray with me. Father God, I need You. We need You. I, we need Your grace, Your love, Your forgiveness, Your power, without which we can do nothing. Come, Lord Jesus. Give me Your words, Your heart. In Jesus' name, Amen. Please be seated. Where is God? Where is God when His people suffer? Where is God when His people are abused and persecuted? Think of what you've seen on TV in so many recent years of how believers around the world are being mistreated and abused. Today we celebrate Ascension Day. We celebrate the day when the Father took Jesus back up into heaven bodily. We celebrate the day when Jesus took His seat at the right hand of the Father. Jesus, who experientially understands our humanity, Jesus, who understands what it's like to be tempted, what it's like to be hungry, what it's like to be lonely, what it's like to be abused, what it's like to suffer, what it's like to die. Surely, He of all possible beings is in a position to have compassion on and to deliver His people. Yet, the persecution of Christians around the world is severe and getting worse. And it's spreading to places it's never been before. At least not in memory. True, now and then we do hear of miraculous escapes. We hear of things that only God Himself could pull off. I've met Rwandan Bishop Alexis and my African friends. I know I'm going to butcher this, but Belinda Bagabo, who wrote the book Rescued by Angels, the stories of miracles during the Rwandan genocide. And Bishop Alexis could give an account after an account after an account where miraculous things happened. Things that should never have happened, happened. And he and his family and the people who were hiding with him were delivered. But guys, I've also seen the pictures of Rwandan churches where believers fled. And the churches were full of their skeletons because God didn't deliver them. I think of Jesus when He was asking the Gospel of Luke, what about the people that the tower in Siloam fell on? And He said, do you think there are greater sinners than all the rest of the people in Judea?
So what is God doing? What's behind it all? I think of Corey Ten Boom, survivor of the Holocaust, survivor of the death camps. She and her whole family were arrested for hiding Jews in Holland and sent to the concentration camps. And Corey survived. And she tells mighty stories, or told mighty stories, about how there is no pit of hell so deep that the love of God cannot reach into it. And yet, Corey was one of two members of her family to survive. Her beloved sister, Betsy. Her father. All of her brothers and sisters died. The first martyr, the first martyr for the church was Stephen, the deacon. Stephen was doing what he was ordained to do. He was doing what God had called him to do. He was preaching the gospel and with power. And someone turned the crowd against him because of the lies that were told about him. And as they attacked Stephen... God gave Stephen the glory, the, the grace to be able to look up into heaven and see the glory of God and see Christ at the right hand of the Father. Here's the account from Acts chapter 7, beginning of 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You know, in that same book of Acts, just a few chapters earlier, there's the story about uh, Peter and James, Peter and John. And they were arrested and in prison. And God got them out. He sent an angel to deliver them. but not for Stephen. How come? What gives? Thinking about this sermon, I, I took out an old copy of Nave's topical Bible and looked up persecution. And I know the Scriptures reasonably well, but I was stunned at Scripture after Scripture, passage after passage, section after section, devoted to the persecution of the church. We must skip over those verses when we read. At least I must have. And yet I know many of them. I just didn't think of the full volume of them. It's a lot. But I think in the United States, so many of us grew up with a theology... That says all that talk about suffering, that was for the early church, and that was for the, the tribulation, and in between, hey, it is just smooth sailing. 
And God's just going to bless and bless and bless. But I think that our brothers and sisters in Pakistan, India, China, North Korea, Indonesia, Nigeria, and a whole lot of other places would be shaking their heads saying, What are you thinking? Because they have seen their churches bombed, their villages burned. Many of them have been shot, hacked to death, decapitated, or burned alive. Because of what? Because they called upon the name of Jesus and refused to denounce Him. And yet even in those places, there are stories of miraculous deliverances. Our reading from Acts today is one of those stories of a miraculous deliverance. Acts 16, beginning in verse 20. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. And after they were severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. After receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All, at once, all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. Now... Maybe I need to level with you guys. I know my personality. I know the stuff I'm made of. And unless God did an amazing intervention, that would not have been me. I really can't relate to the reaction Paul and Silas had. Because my reaction would have been to say, God, what are you doing? I was simply trying to do what you asked me to do. I was doing what you told me to do. I was out. I was preaching the gospel. And these people told lies about me. I am beaten and flogged. I'm locked in a prison. And where are you? Maybe that's a typical American reaction. I don't know. But that wasn't Paul and Silas, was it? They were singing hymns. They were praying. They were, I, it doesn't say it, but I have no doubt, they were praising God. And everyone was listening to them. What a difference. As Peter and James had done when they were beaten and imprisoned. Paul and Silas sang hymns apparently loud enough that everyone could hear. And they prayed. Now, of course, they knew what I know. I just can't imagine it applying to me. That Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, guys, back then, 
A cross wasn't a piece of jewelry. It wasn't an ornament on the wall. It was how the Romans killed people that weren't their citizens. Publicly. Shamefully. Brutally. You know, in Acts, 5th chapter, verse 41, the disciples are, are released from prison in Jerusalem, just narrowly escaping having been executed. The debate was, do we kill them or not? And Acts 5.41 says, The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to suffer. That's what Paul and Silas were doing. They were rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to suffer. St. Paul also wrote this about the experience of those who believed in Jesus. In 2 Timothy 3, beginning with the 10th verse. You, however, know all about my teaching, my life, my way of life, rather, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Then listen to this. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus, Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not may, will. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And then in something that could be right out of today's persecutions. Jesus told His disciples this in John 16, verse 1. All of this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things. Because they have not known the Father or me. The Apostle Paul even says that some people in churches are specifically chosen for persecution. And that it's an honor. To the church in the city of Philippi, Paul wrote this in Philippians 1.27. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. It has been granted to you to believe and to suffer. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I have still. So, what else can we know about all of this? 
Our gospel reading this morning is from John 17. All of John 17 is a, a prayer of Jesus. Sometimes it's been called the high priestly prayer. Jesus prayed it on the night of His, or the evening of His betrayal. The night before He was tried and crucified. The very first sentence of that prayer is this, John 17, 1. After Jesus said this, He looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify Your Son, that Your Son may glorify You. Hours after praying this prayer, Jesus was betrayed, falsely accused, insulted, beaten, crucified, and buried. Father, glorify Your Son. Of course, after those things, He was also resurrected, also ascended. But it's hard to escape the notion that His suffering was somehow a vital part of His being glorified. Now, our Gospel reading today is from further down in that same prayer of John 17. And looking at the 22nd verse, we read where Jesus prayed for His disciples. John 17, 22, I have given them the glory you gave me. Thinking of the outcome of Jesus saying that now was the time for God to glorify His Son, I kind of feel like Tevia from uh, Fiddler on the Roof. Lord, could you choose someone else for a while? The sharing in God's glory implies sharing in His suffering. If it were just these verses, I would think it might be an overreach. But as I read through the New Testament, I find other verses that testify to that. This one from Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. If indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. And Paul continues, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Wow. It's pretty amazing. And frankly, pretty scary. How come no one ever wrote that on the evangelistic uh, recruiting poster that I read years back? I think if Jesus had written the poster, it would have included, Take up your cross and follow me. But it would have also included, Take your yoke upon me, Matthew eleven twenty nine, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And it would have included John fourteen twenty seven, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. 
Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. And of course, John 6.40. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Had the assigned text today, the appointed text today, had been the actual passage of the Ascension. I probably would have spent more time on the fact that the one who truly knows humanity, who truly knows what it is to be a human being, now sits at the right hand of power. And I would have talked about, now that Jesus is gone, what are his disciples supposed to do? And that was answered. When Jesus told them the Great Commission at the very time He was leaving them, go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That's what they were to do. But then He was gone. How would they find the direction? How would they find the power? How would they find the grace to keep on going? He said, wait. Wait here in Jerusalem until the promised Holy Spirit comes upon you. And the Holy Spirit also has a role in the hearts and the times of those who are being persecuted. I wish it said, the Holy Spirit will get you out of all persecution. Don't worry about it. It didn't. It says this, When you are brought before the synagogue rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. When? Now, the last thing, it's always dangerous when the pastor says the last thing. The last thing I want you to see from our reading today is that Jesus really, really is at the right hand of God, at the right hand of the Father. He has all power, and He really, really is coming back. He will really set all things right, and He really will dry all our tears even of those who give their lives for the gospel of Christ. Our reading from the Psalms and from the book of Revelation make that point that God will set all things right. Very clear. But a lot more ugly things may have to happen between now and then. Because persecution may be, in fact, as I read Scripture, it is, the normal situation of the church and the believer in the world. So when we hear of persecutions, and they're far more frequent than what our press was willing to report, they are literally refusing to report what's going on around the world. When we hear of these persecutions, what should we pray for? Well, from what I'm reading here, for one thing, of course, for deliverance. Of course, for peace. But also pray that our brothers and sisters would live forth a good testimony of the power of Christ. Pray that they would give glory to God by the way they bear up under suffering. Pray that their persecutors would repent and come to know Jesus and find life. And of course, pray that if necessary, our brothers and sisters will die with great faith and with great courage and with great trust in their Lord. 
And in these recent days, we have seen that time and time again. How long, O oh Lord? How long? For us, we should know that at some point, unless we seriously re-evangelize our nation and our culture, at some point, we will face persecution. And I believe incrementally we are facing persecution. And it's growing. And again, unless we can win this, this culture, this country, this people, this nation, back to a belief in the God of the Scriptures, it will continue to come. And all of God's people everywhere must remember that no matter how dark it gets, God is still on His throne. And that is the main message of the book of the Revelation, guys. It gets dark and it gets ugly, but God wins. And we must remember that the Son of God has ascended to the Father's right hand. And we must remember that at some point, at some point, God will say, It is enough! And at that time, time as we have known it will stop. And we will see our Redeemer. And the judgment will begin. Luke 21, beginning with verse 26. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Brothers and sisters, our redemption is drawing near. Even so, come, come, Lord Jesus.